Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week. Yes, this is a pre-recorded program. You think I'm going to be in the studio at the end of the year? No way. No way, Jose. That's right. This is pre-recorded, so if you don't get the scintillating analysis you're used to, up to date, well, bad luck. That's the way it goes on the Anarchist World this week. So if you want to switch off, fair enough. If you don't, keep listening because we're going to talk about what we're going to do next year. That's right, next year, because I understand this is the last program for the year 2015 in the Georgian calendar. Not other calendars, just the Georgian calendar. Apparently, Anarchy is all about, and Anarchist Society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Very, very boring, rational concepts not the type of thing that you know uh, really draws a crowd is it it's usually disaster death destruction gurus gods they're the type of thing that draws a crowd but when it comes to people living in an egalitarian community involved in the decision making process sharing the commonwealth it doesn't seem to be a big thing in 2015 But maybe, maybe things will change in a few days' time in 2016. All right. What a year. What a year. Now, I'm not going to do the usual boring thing and go through what's happened during the last year. You all know what's happened during the last year, especially regular listeners to the Anarchist World this week. What I want to do is look forward, but I, I may have to take a step backwards occasionally because what we try to do at the Anarchist Institute is actually have a whole series of events which we organise in order to create an anti-authoritarian culture, in order to create a mechanism via which people get get involved in activities, not all that are directly anarchist-linked, in activities which challenge authority, which challenge the status quo, which challenge hierarchy. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to come to everything, and not everybody's going to agree with every one of our particular strategical initiatives. But the end game as far as all these strategical initiatives is concerned, the end game is to create a climate for egalitarian change because anarchism is about living in a society without rulers. You don't want rulers, what do you have to do? You need to 
decentralized power, you need to share wealth. It's very simple. It's power and wealth which give rulers their authority, which allow them to put their interest and the interest of their immediate circle and families before the interests of the population as a whole. So although we may not follow the old-fashioned, traditional anarchist pathway, and there are many anarchists out there who continue to follow, you know, follow that old-fashioned, traditional pathway, which was discredited you know, decades ago, we don't follow that tradition. We're not bound by ideology. We don't bear the cross of ideology or historical precedent. We live in 2016. We need to capture the imagination of people in 2016 by using mechanisms or strategies which gel with that type of situation. You, the, same, the same strategy you would pursue in a liberal democratic society as we have in Australia is obviously very different to the strategy that you would pursue in a dictatorial country where there is no space to actually be active. So strategy, to a large degree, the strategy we follow in 2016 will be determined to a large degree by the, you know, the uh, spaces we are actually able to work in. So let's... So one, we create a whole series of events which may not be specifically anarchist, but which create a general sense of change, that change is possible, that change is real. And over the last, you know, last two or three decades, we've been pursuing this policy. At the same time, we pursue policies of actually exploring different strategical methods via which we can have a wider influence than we currently have because, being brutally honest... Most Australians would have no idea, 99.99% would have no idea what anarchism stands for. And to a large degree, that's our problem, because we are the ones who use the term to define ourselves. We are the ones who need to be able to, you know, show, demonstrate in a variety of ways that anarchism is a very simple concept. It's about living in a society which allows each individual to develop themselves to their maximum potential by giving them the opportunity to participate in the decision-making process of that society and allowing them to access the wealth of that society to do that. It's about working collective and cooperatively and collaborative with the people around you, the people you live and work with. So on the 20th of January, every year, the Anarchist Media Institute was instrumental in 2006 in commencing the Tanaminawai and Mōbōhina commemorations. Now, Tanaminawai and Mōbōhina were two Indigenous Australians who were executed on the 20th of January 1842 for having the audacity to resist colonisation. Now, as anarchists in Australia, we have a particular situation which many other anarchists don't face around the world and that says how do we incorporate our struggle with the struggle for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders are involved in for justice and we believed in 2006 at the height of the black armband period of history when major media outlets in this country were denying the brutality of the colonisation process 
we felt that the best way to do that is to put the frontier wars which occurred across this continent and the islands around this continent for over you know over a hundred years over 120 years were put fair and squarely in the public arena and the Tanaminiwaya Mōbōhina commemoration was established for that very point it was established to highlight that this country had a black history, that this country has unfinished business between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, and until that unfinished business is addressed, there will never be peace in this country. And on the 20th of January, every year, midday sharp, we encourage people to join us for a simple commemoration which lasts about two hours in Melbourne, near the CBD, at the corner of Bowen and Franklin Street, opposite the city baths, to honour the sacrifice that was made by Tanaminiwe and Mōbōhina. Ironically, around this country, we have monuments galore, glorifying and honouring people who, are in, who died fighting other people's wars around the planet. But there is nothing honouring those men and women who died in their tens of thousands in this country during the colonisation process, protecting their language, their way of life, their, uh, their beliefs, their land, their culture. And this has been an exceptionally successful campaign because we had four major planks to the campaign. One, to hold a commemoration on the 20th of January, which we've done religiously since 2006. Two, to kick-start the reconciliation process between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, a stalled process, but kick-started, not based on charity, but based on justice. Three, we wanted to highlight the injustice of what happened and the injustice of denying the historical reality that this country was built on the blood and bones and dreams and aspirations of people who had lived on this continent continuously for over 40,000 years. And four, we wanted a substantial monument erected to Tanaminoe Mōbōhina to highlight those frontier wars, to point out to Australians that this country has a black history and this country has a colonisation history. And, we, and this has been a long, painful torturous struggle and in 2016 courtesy of the Melbourne City Council courtesy of a long standing political social and cultural campaign the Tanaminoe Mōbōhina Commemoration Committee has been involved in uh, that monument will be established the first time in this country there will be a major monument to the frontier wars anywhere anywhere in a major capital city and we believe that this monument will eventually rival Captain's Cook Cottage in Melbourne. So that is just one little thing we're involved in every January. This is something which was an initiative of the Anarchist Marine Institute and continues to be pushed and prodded and pulled along by radical elements of the Indigenous community as well as radical non-Indigenous members of this community. The second thing we've always been involved in, we've been involved in for a number of decades, well, at least at least 12 to 15 years, is Marbo celebrations, which we conduct regularly on the 3rd of June. But before that, we hold May Day celebrations 
on the 1st of May. And we hold those celebrations on the 1st of May in Melbourne and it's anarchist inspired for one very good reason. May Day in Melbourne was initiated, planned and celebrated by anarchists in the 1886, by anarchists, and it has been continued on the day, not the first Sunday after on the day, although this year the May Day celebrations will be held on the day, on the 1st of May. But this is an important day for anarchists because the Melbourne Anarchist Club, the first anarchist organisation formed in this country on the 1st of May 1886, was formed on the 1st of May 1886 as a direct consequence of the, of the Trade Union Congress of North America calling for the 1st of May 1886 to be a day of international protest for the eight-hour day across the planet. And a handful of anarchists in Melbourne formed the Melbourne Anarchist Club on that day, on the 1st of May. And this year, once again, we will be celebrating that day, initially by ourselves and later on with the uh, traditional uh, May Day march, which occurs on the Sunday. We'll meet at Federation Square at 11am and uh, we will then work out, uh, before then, obviously, we'll work out what our strategy will be in terms of activities for that day. That is one day we celebrate. Two other things we have been involved in quite heavily over the last two years. One is we have thrown our support behind the West Papua Independence Movement. Not because the West Papua Independence Movement is necessarily an anarchist movement. The West Papua Independence Movement is a, is a, is a national independence movement. and it's a, it's a struggle about national liberation. But it's a struggle which has been conducted less than 200 kilometres from Darwin in Australia, which has resulted in the death of over a half a million people since 1961 by a people who are slowly, slowly being squeezed out of existence by an Indonesian military which understands that he, he who holds West Papua has a uh, direct line to the bank vault. And we threw our support behind the West Papua Independence Movement because there is nobody more marginalised in this country than West Papua Independent activists. Most of them refugees <coughs> who have come to this country and we were behind and continue to be behind the formation of the West Papua Rent Collective. This is a rent collective which is $30 a month, $360 a year, which allows normal, everyday Australians <coughs> sorry, to pay the rent on an office in Docklands in Melbourne CBD to the West Papua Independence Movement as an office which they can use as their own to coordinate independence struggles, not just here but in West Papua as well as the rest of the world. And this has been a very successful campaign. Minimal energy, very successful. We've had all types of people join the West Papua Rent Collective. We've had, you know, conservatives, radicals, anarchists, socialists, liberals, you know, Labour Party members, Greens. Anybody who believes that people have a right to self-determination is involved in this particular thing. It, it is our role to pay the rent. We do not direct the uh, West Papua Independence Movement in any way. 
on the strategies they use. And although we may have differences, uh, you know, with the particular uh, thrust of their campaign, it's irrelevant. What is relevant is that we have been able to, for a minimal amount of effort and a minimal amount of money, we've been able to give a voice to one of the most marginalised, dispossessed, exploited people on the planet. Not just a voice in terms of you know patching up their wounds, but a voice in allowing them to determine their struggle, to determine how they will conduct their struggle, to determine you know uh, how they will achieve independence. And that's what this is all about. So if you are not a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective, it's thirty dollars a month. Or if you want to make a one-off contribution, one-off contributions are welcome. Or $360 a year, you can make it anonymously. You know, you can uh, put a big hat on and smile. It's very simple. All you've got to do is go to a Commonwealth Bank branch and put the money in. And if you want further details, give us a call on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Or email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Or write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. This is another great Anarchist Mid Institute initiative, which has now, you know, got its own feet, got its own organisational structures, got its own platform. You know, it's in one of our children, which is now freely able to look after itself. And whether we support it or not is irrelevant, because it is now an independent entity which will continue to function for years to come and provide that organisational infrastructure to allow the West Papuan independence activists in Australia to coordinate their struggle both here in the United Nations, overseas. And for a very small amount of money every month, a dollar a day, you can be part of this uh, exciting, dynamic, forward-looking struggle for uh, independence. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, the Community Radio Network. As I said, this is the last program of the year. It is pre-recorded, and I'm basically just looking at some of the activities that we'll be involved in next year. Public interest before corporate interest. Now, this particular organisation has an interesting history. During the uh, state election, I think it was in November 2014, I put a call over the... This is the Victorian state election. I put a call over the radio and said... I'm interested in standing, you know, in an electorate if I'm invited by uh, local people who want some type of radical alternative to the usual garbage that's put up. Not that, not because I want to be elected, not because I expected to be elected, but again, to raise different issues using the political process, the electoral process, in order to, you know, reign on their parade. Now, after this uh, election campaign, uh, a, few, a, number, a handful of people in, in, the, in that electorate uh, who were involved in the campaign... You know, a small group that were involved in that campaign came up to me and said, well, what next, Joe? And I said, what do you mean, what next? They said, well, it did have traction. It was successful, but we need something else. We need something else in order for the campaign to continue. There's no point just, you know, standing in elections every three to four years and then, you know, becoming a wallflower for the next three to four years, and I couldn't agree more. So it was a, it, we made a decision to form a new organisation, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, PIPSI. Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, which I think was 
launched in May or June 2015. And public interest before corporate interest is a very simple concept. It's the concept of rolling back the deregulation, corporatisation, privatisation, globalisation juggernaut, which has been running riot, creating casualties in this country for the last 40 years since the demise of the Whitlam-led Labor government in 1975. And public interest before corporate interest has two major functions. One is to use direct action, that's right, to use direct action to ensure that the public interest is always put before corporate interest, whether it's public education, public health, public safety, public infrastructure, public arts, and the list goes on, public space, you know, public asset to the World Wide Web, and the the list goes on and on, is always put before corporate interests. We currently have over 430 members. We're trying to get 500 people on the electoral roll, which can be difficult when most of the people that I talk to, you know, through the anarchist world this week may not be on the electoral roll because they, they, they think parliamentary elections are nothing more than two minutes of illusory power. But in order to be a registered political party, in order that only is not only involved in direct action but is also involved in electoral politics, and we don't escond electoral pol- politics, then we need 500 people in the electoral roll to attempt to register this as a political party before the next federal election or before the next changes to the uh, federal laws which uh, are going to be designed to make uh, small parties basically uh, irrelevant in this country. So it's an interesting concept because we've had two major sources of members. One, the apolitical, the dispossessed, the marginalised, who understand who understand, who are at the pointy end of the stick, but can't point the finger at anybody in particular. They know things aren't quite right. They know that when the top 560 companies of, you know, the top third companies in this country pay no tax, no tax, not because they haven't made any profit, but because they've been able to use Australia's taxation, corporate-friendly tax laws to hide their profits, legally, of course, they know that when they have to wait an enormous amount of time to get a hip replacement, they know when they can't afford basic medicines, they know when they can't afford, they can't get access to public housing, they know when uh, bulk billing, uh, bulk billing uh, medical practices are becoming a relatively rare commodity. They understand. They understand that they are the forgotten people. And then we have those political folk who listen to this program, those who are so disillusioned with the parliamentary process, they are no longer on the electoral roll. And you've got to understand that if you want change, you use every mechanism, legal mechanism available to you at that particular point in time. And electoral politics is part of that. It's not about getting elected. It's primarily about getting the ideas across to an increasing number of people in a period when the types of ideas that are coming out of the government guild at ABC and the corporate-owned media and to a a wider extent 
from the World Wide Web are really the same ideas constantly. For example, the new managing director of the ABC, an ex-Google hack, an ex-News Corporation hack. Here we have, here we have a new managing director of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation whose major work life has revolved around being an executive for private corporations, privately owned corporations. And why is this so? As Professor Julius Sumner Miller would say, why is this so? It's very simple. It's so that different aspects of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation can be sold off over the next decade or so. Because although the Australian Broadcasting Corporation is relatively is a gelded organisation, occasionally, occasionally it causes a little bit of discomfort. Not often, but occasionally. So public interest before corporate interest is chugging along. And next year, starting in February, in next year, they will be involved in an increasing number of direct action campaigns in order to highlight the fact there is nobody there anymore. There are no public intellectuals because every bloody intellectual who works for university is bound by confidentiality rules in their contract. There's nobody out there to speak for them. And public interest before corporate interest is out there to put the public interest first. Again, this isn't a classical anarchist struggle, which would be in a classical abstention campaign where you sit in the sidelines and you say, tuck, tuck. Tuck, tuck, I didn't vote, isn't that nice? Well, as we see around the world, where voting isn't compulsory, you know, what does it do if 40% don't turn up or 60%? doesn't really matter, does it? That's the issue. The issue is you need to mobilise people. And the whole point about public interest before corporate interest is to mobilise people. If we can't mobilise people in 2016 to look after their own interests, we may as well pack it in, go home, go to bed, put covers overhead and uh, wait. Wait till doomsday. What a period in history do we live in? Here we have unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental issues dictating the parliamentary agenda. Dictating it to such an extent that our parliamentary representatives are nothing more than puppets. They are corporate puppets. And as I said before, Australian society in, 2000, in the 21st century is divided into four classes. Four simple classes. One, you've got the one percenters. That small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Those CEOs on boards who, you know, if they don't take home 20 million a year, you know, they would be unhappy. The one percenters. Those that are the king and queen makers, those that determine not only who the Prime Minister is, who our parliamentary representatives are, but determine determine the types of laws that are passed that ensure that their interests and their interests alone continue to be put before the public interest. That's our first group we have to be concerned about. Then you've got 
the cheer squad, the corporate cheer squad, the investors, Investment Australia. Now, over the last 40 years, we have seen the creation of a new class, the investment class. And this class has been helped enormously by legislation which allows it to legally minimise their taxation responsibilities. Forget about the corporate sector. They don't pay tax. They pay voluntary taxation. Some of them, like Murdoch, get an $886 million tax refund in 2013. Although in 2014, I understand they just didn't pay any tax. (laughs) They didn't actually get a refund. Maybe they fought two years in a row. It would be a bit of a worry. So, you know, this is the issue that we have constantly. Constantly we have this issue. You know, constantly we have these issues that we have to face every day. We have to face these issues. And the investment class, they are the cheer squad. The investment classes cross over traditional class lines. What we have today is an investment class that actually crosses over. You've got tradespeople who are in high earning incomes. You have some professionals, some tradespeople. You have some small businesses. You have some retired people. May have been, you know, traditional working class in their previous, you know, incarnation. It's the investment class, 20% of of society, which is sucking this continent dry. You buy two houses, you get a tax deduction for having a second home. You borrow money to invest on the stock market. You get a tax deduction for any losses you make. It's a little bit like going to the casino, losing your money and then getting it back twofold because you're a good customer. And the list goes on and on. And the dream of the neoliberals is to make everybody part of this investment class, you know, make everybody part of this investment car, you know, investment class. Every day. Just extraordinary, isn't it? Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Every day. The same problem. That's why Pibsy was formed. So you've got the traditional ruling class. I call them your corporate class. Your one percenters. And I'm not talking about outlaw my bikey gangs. Although some of them a part of your uh, you know, investment class. Then you've got your investment class, which could be anybody who's got more income than they need to meet their everyday commitments. And they use this excess income and this nation's friendly tax, uh, investment taxation laws to maximise their profits. Now this... But then you've got your traditional working class. These are people who still provide 67% of every dollar which is raised in taxation in this country. Your traditional working class. Your 50% of Australians whose wages basically cover their living expenses, their rent, their mortgage, their electricity, their holidays, whatever. That's 50% of society. And you have professionals in this class. You have PhDs in this class. You have doctors in this class. You have some tradespeople in this class. You have some small business people in this class. 
you, and the list go, obviously you've got most retail workers in this class. You've got, you know, most building workers in this class, and most health workers in this class, and the list goes on and on. And then you've got the 33% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive. Those on disability support pensions, those on old age pensions, those on single parents benefits, and the list goes on and on. Those on the visually impaired pension, and the list goes on and on and on. So you've got these four classes. So you've got 21%, or around 20% of society, living on the upper decks, enjoying themselves, having a drink. Occasionally one of the investment classes drops down into the, uh, a few of them drop down into the working class or, you know, into the uh, social security class. So it's a different Australia. It's a different dynamic. You don't judge people by what type of work they do, what type of, with their educa- the type of education they have. The judgment about which class they belong to is to a large degree determined by disposable income or lack of disposable income. And this is where public interest before corporate interest comes into the story. Because those 50% of people who are part of the working class and that 30% of people who are part of the social security benefits class, they have basically been dealt out of the economic equation. They have been marginalised. They are nothing more than cash cows for that 20% in the corporate class and the investment class. Nothing more than cash cows. That's all they are, cash cows. So this concept, you know, one of the most difficult problems we have had in public interest before corporate interests to actually generate interest is the fact that most Australians don't even understand the concept of public interest. They don't seem to understand that as a society, the cement that holds us together which makes us a peaceful society is the fact that public interest should always be put forward before sectional interest and corporate interests. So if you want to be part of this dynamic movement you've got a number of options. You can sit on the sidelines and say ho-hum, it's not perfect, it's not the type of thing I want to join, you know, I prefer to sit at home in my armchair or more importantly click away on my computer, looking at the latest, you know, uh, theory about this and that, you know, and uh, feel safe in my little room, clicking away, click, 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 watching my YouTubes, you know, bringing in my movies, you know, but, uh, oh, this is not for me, it's a little bit like a bit of hard work, isn't it? Or, you can join. Joining is easy, it's free. You can download the application form from pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net, you want to learn more about the organisation, I suggest you go to the Facebook page, just put public interest before corporate interest on the Facebook page, and hey presto, before you know it, you'll know all about it. All about it. I mean, that's how easy it is. Very simple. I mean, in life, you've got three options. You do nothing, you do something, you wait. And as the motto of public interest before corporate interest is very simple, 
we are the people we've been waiting for we are the people we've been waiting for for far too long we've been waiting for a messiah for far too long we've been waiting for the right political party for far too long we've been waiting for some justice for far too long we've been waiting for things to change nothing changes without direct pressure from the below all those reforms which occurred during the 19th and 20th century which made the lives of working people bearable like overtime payments which they are working hard to get rid of working hard to get rid of all those came from the blood sweat and tears of working people that's where they came from and they've been lost because we are no longer willing to actually stand up to these bullies. Most Australians have forgotten where their standard of living has come, and f- come from. It's not their fault. It's the fact that these lessons are erased from the history books. These lessons are erased from daily conversation. And that's why it's so ludicrous to appoint somebody as the head of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation whose major work experience is news corpora- as an executive for News Corporation, as an executive for Google. Totally irrelevant. But this is what's happened. All the institutions which are theoretically out there to protect the public interest have been usurped slowly, slowly destroyed whether it's Medicare which is dying which is bleeding slowly bleeding to death from a thousand cuts whether it's public education public arts public infrastructure public housing and the list goes on and on it doesn't happen so if you are interested in these concepts and you may not be that's fair enough but if you are Think about joining public interest before corporate interest. Haven't got a computer? Got a phone? Give us a call. 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Haven't got a phone? Haven't got a computer? Get a stamp, although that'll be $1 in a few days' time. Post it to us. Post your request to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We're quite keen to register public interest before corporate interest as a federal political party in the next few months. Whether we do or not is not due to our lack of effort. Whether we do or not is to a large degree dependent on people like you, people like you, joining us. If you're on the electoral roll, well and good. If you're not, you're still welcome. That's what it is. It's a direct action group. It's a political party. It's both. It will use every legal mechanism available to us to put public interests before corporate interests. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scone, hosting today's program. Next major activity, Marbo Day, 3rd of June. Once again, at midday on the 3rd of June, we'll be meeting at Federation Square to celebrate Marbo Day. As I said before, anarchists and radical activists in Australia need to accommodate, need to be involved in that struggle 
the Indigenous community is actually been involved in for generations, for hundreds of years, for justice and compensation. And one of these days is Mabo Day. Because it's interesting. Mabo, the decision which was handed down on the 3rd of June 2002. The 3rd of June 2002 by the High Court of Australia. It was an important decision because the Mabo decision recognised that Indigenous Australians had rights to land and the oceans in law because of their prior occupation of this land, especially those that had continuous occupation of the land despite colonisation. Sorry, it was in 1992, my apologies. So in 1992, when the decision was made, and I'm old enough to remember, there was consternation, consternation among the land-owning classes in this country. Consternation in the Murdoch media who were telling Australians that you know, Aboriginal people were going to be camping in their backyards and claiming that backyard as their own. Consternation. Because it questioned the very legality of the colonisation process. Colonisation process. It questioned the very process itself. It highlighted in law in 1992 that Indigenous Australians were the prior occupiers of this land. And Eddie Marbo, a Torres Strait Islander, from Murr in the Torres Strait, demonstrated convincingly to the court with his two uh, co-defendants. There was Father Rice, and I've forgotten the third defendant, but I will remember later on. You know, they demonstrated to the courts that they had land ownership, and they demonstrated that land ownership, and that land ownership was actually recognised. Now, irrespective of what people say, that, you know, Indigenous Australians never ceded their sovereignty, which they didn't. The reality is that possession is nine-tenths of the law. And what this decision did is actually put that concept on its head, directly on its head. It highlighted that even in European colonial law, that Indigenous Australians had rights to land in law. Now, obviously... A lot of people are unhappy with the Mabo decision. Not because of the decision itself, but how it has been implemented. And successive governments, both Liberal and Labor, especially Liberal National Party governments, have made it their number one aim, have made it their number one aim to water down the Mabo decision to make it almost irrelevant because it questions the land ownership. Another day, which we celebrate is on the 1st, we obviously we celebrate the 11th of November. Why the 11th of November? On the 11th of November, 1854, the Ballarat Reform League was formed, the organisation behind the Eureka Rebellion. On the 11th of November, 1880, Ned Kelly was hung. And why Ned Kelly? Because to a large degree, the Ned Kelly legend derived from the fact of the failed Eureka Rebellion and the police... Uh, oppression which occurred in that area for decades after the Eureka Rebellion. On the 11th of November 1980, we saw the end, the end 
That's right. The end of the First World War, a war fought by workers on, on at either end of a bayonet for the glory of God, King and Country. And this year, we will be celebrating the 100th anniversary, which will be in October, the 100th anniversary of the successful, successful referendum which stopped another 60,000 young Australian men being sacrificed on the European killing fields for the glory of God, King and Country. All during 2015, we heard about the great exploits of those who died, not for freedom, not for liberty, not for independence, but for the glory of God, King and Country. But in 1916, you will hear about the exploits of the anti-conscription movement which defeated two referendums to introduce conscription in this country. And that's why, to a large degree, the death rate in this country was much lower per head of population than in New Zealand where conscription was introduced, or in England, where 8,000 men could die in one single day in one battle. For what? A quagmire. So again, in, 19, in 2016, we will be highlighting that history. Not for the sake of highlighting that history, but for the sake of ensuring that never again will so many die so that a few may enrich themselves. Never again. Then on the 3rd of December, obviously we celebrate uh, Eureka Day. That's right. And why Eureka Day? Well, I won't go through it again. We've just been through it. But again... Everything that's good about Eureka is encapsulated in the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. And more importantly, we'll have a whole heap of campaigns which will come and go during 2016. But one campaign which will continue for the whole of 2016 is the campaign which revolves around highlighting the hypocrisy of corporate Australia a campaign which revolves around ensuring that corporate Australia pays tax a campaign which is which is aimed at cutting the parliamentary puppet strings and this campaign is an ongoing campaign of the uh, from the um, Resist Murdoch's Minions campaign. But late last year, we made a number of decisions regarding that particular campaign. Put it on ice. We're going to expand it. At 4.30pm, on the first Friday of the month, we'll be meeting at Federation Square. And this is beginning in February. So at 4.30pm, on the first Friday of the month, we'll be meeting in Federation Square and then marching initially to the Herald and Weekly Times building. Because the greatest tax minimisers in this country is 21st Century Fox and News Corporation. In 2013, Mr Murdoch personally pocketed $883 million from the Australian taxpayer. Not because his company wasn't making any profit, but because he was actually able to legally structure his affairs in such a way as to ensure not only that he didn't pay tax, but he got a tax refund. In 2014, News Corporation didn't pay any tax. Thank the Lord for that. At least they didn't get a 
the Lord's for that. At least I didn't get a tax refund. So this is what it's about. Whether it's Shell, whether it's Exxon, whether it's IKEA, whether it's Lendlease, whether it's Virgin, whether it's Jetstar, and the list goes on and on. We have major corporations in this country legally minimising their tax to such an extent they are making no significant contribution to public good. And this needs to be highlighted. We need to join the dots. So if you are part, you are sick and tired of this, if you want to be part of a direct action movement which is supported by organisations like the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, the Wednesday Action Group, uh, the Unexpressed Institute, and the list goes on and on, then join us. First Friday of the month, 4.30pm, Federation Square, then take over the city. You know, we need to highlight this. Things have to change, because if they don't change, we will see the introduction of a goods and services tax, which an, an increase in the goods and services tax, which has its major impact on ordinary people. And what will be our campaign slogans? Simple. There are simple ways to ensure corporate Australia pays tax. You can introduce a 1% turnover tax for corporations who have a turnover of more than $5 million, which would include most of them. You can't get away from it. You know, you make a dollar, you pay one cent of that dollar. Not ten cents, one cent of that dollar for taxation revenue. You make a hundred billion, you turn over a hundred billion dollars, you pay one percent of a hundred billion dollars taxation revenue. All it takes is legislation, a one percent turnover tax on any company, privately owned, owned by taxpayers, that has a turnover of more than five million dollars a year. Simple concept. Where else do you hear it discussed but on the anarchist anarchist world this week? Another simple thing. Do you know that corporations claim their GST as a tax deduction? When you buy your when you buy your desk and you pay, you know, ten percent GST or you buy electricity and you pay ten percent GST, you don't get a tax deduction. But if a corporation pays GST, they claim it as a tax deduction. Businesses claim it as a tax deduction. Simple law that could be introduced tomorrow if there was the political will in both houses of parliament. That any corporation, any business, with a turnover of more than $5 million a year cannot claim the GST as a tax deduction. This allows micro-businesses and small businesses to be able to compete with large businesses. Because they can claim their costs as a tax deduction, while the big boys and girls can't claim their costs as a tax deduction. All it needs is legislation. The legislation is there. You don't need a revolution. You don't need reform. You just need people in both houses of parliament that have the courage to raise this. This is another issue that we will be raising on these large gatherings. They're not protests. They are gatherings for justice. And last but not least, why not a 1% stock market turnover tax. Huh? And everybody says, oh, how about the poor mum and dad investor? Well, if you're a mum and dad investor, we'll allow you to buy $5,000 worth of shares every day. Eh? If you buy more than $5,000, you can pay your 1%. So again, if we introduce these three simple things, you can actually, there'll be more money in this society than we can know what to do with. 
we could actually have a monorail from Melbourne to Sydney to Brisbane to Darwin with the excess money. It's just incredible. Simple things. Very simple things. And then obviously you can get rid of the the wonderful super uh, uh, superannuation uh, uh, tax advantages that the rich have. Forty billion a year. Yeah, we could all we could all live the life of Riley. So look, it's simple. You need imagination. We need imagination. We need to move forward from the situation we find ourselves in. We need to move forward from the, you know. The normal, boring protest movement that most of us have been involved in for so long. We need, they have imagination, we need imagination. They don't have any imagination. All they have is the capacity to manipulate the system to suit them. We need to be that stumbling block. We need to be the the sabot, that's the clog, the wooden clog in the machinery to bring it to a halt. And the greatest sabot, the greatest wooden clog in the history of the universe is people themselves. We don't need to hide our faces. We need to come out there. We need to be brave. We need to say, this is the way we need things to go. So if you're interested, listen into the Anarchist World this week in the, on the first program in 2016. These are some of the campaigns we're interested in. Obviously, there'll be many more campaigns as we go along, because as I said before, we're not burdened by the certainties of ideology. We're not burdened by historical precedents. We call ourselves 21st century anarchists. We're there to, to make a difference. We're there to see the creation of society based on egalitarian values, society based on democratic principles, where wealth is held in common and everybody can develop themselves to their fullest potential. This pro- program is podcast. Send the podcast to your friends. This program has been heard via the community radio network across the country. You want to access the podcast? Go to 3cr.org.au. You want to look at some of the website? Go to anarchistmedia.org, pibsy.net. You want to email us? And email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Go to the Wednesday Action Group Facebook page. See what they're doing in 2016. Go to the uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests uh, Facebook page, YouTube, you know it, we use all mechanisms, but we know that in the end, it's feet on the ground that change society. Click activism gives you RSI, repetitive strain injury of the brain. But, you know, feet on the ground may give you sore ankles, but it gives you a lot of satisfaction because you are then part of a movement that can and will create change. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week, next week, on your local community radio. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.